God, it's a, it's a beautiful thing that you have taken these ruins that are me. And as I look to the cross, my failure is lost, God. I, I just pray that people here this morning, God, in your spirit, thank you that you are here with us. God, broken people in this room, messed up people in this room, people that do not have it all together whether we think we do or not. God, you put us back together. You have redeemed us. You have restored our souls. We thank you, God. We thank you, God, that we can stand here in your presence now without shame because my failure you do not see. You see the blood of Christ that covers my broken ruins of a life. God, we love you and we need you. It's in Jesus' powerful name and all God's people said, Amen. You can have a seat for a moment. One thing I want to mention before we get going here is everybody turn around, look toward the sound booth. Everybody turn your heads and look to the sound booth. It's going to embarrass him. You don't want me to do this, but I'm going to do it anyway. This is Eldon and Bev Groff's last Sunday with us. They've, uh, they just, he just told me before the service, we just don't like you guys. And we're going to leave. So I'm just kidding. Um, I, I spoke with Eldon a few weeks ago, and, um, and he just, in the middle of a regular conversation, just started crying because he has been so close and is now so close to so many new people. And um, we just want to say to Eldon and Bev that we love you guys. We're going to miss you. Uh, dearly. Um, so everybody just give a round of applause for them. Um, we're, not, we're not clapping that you're leaving. We're, we're clapping because of, of who you are and who God has made you and who you've been to so many people. We love you guys. Um, and we'll be praying for you like crazy. You can come back anytime. You just have to give two weeks notice. So um, anyway, I want to do something real quick. Everybody stand up. Everybody go ahead and stand up. And this is going to make you feel uncomfortable immediately right out of the way, so I'll just get it out of the way. Um, but if you do it, the thing I find with things that I ask you to do that are uncomfortable, if you just do it, the, the moment that you hesitate, then you're uncomfortable. So don't hesitate. This corner right here is our goal, okay? I want everyone, leave your stuff where it is, okay? Because you're going to return in about two minutes to that spot. But I want everyone very quickly, so we can make it through the sermon, to move and fill every single seat. Stay standing when you get there, but shoulder to shoulder, every single seat. From this corner, back, first section, and then fill this corner from the front back. Every single seat filled, everyone in the room including sound men and all them, participate. Go now. Go, go, go. Yes, yes. Fill every single seat shoulder to shoulder. If you love this idea, it's mine. If you don't, it's my wife's. Every single seat. As you're finishing this task, something that I'm guilty of almost every single week as I stand up here, or as I look from the back, wherever I'm standing, you can go ahead and sit down, actually. Don't sit on anybody's glasses or stuff. 
Every single week, I look out and I see, especially when people are standing and singing, I see, man, this room is full, right? And every week, a part of me makes the mistake of thinking that we must be doing, we must be doing and being the church correctly because this room's full, right? Everybody turn your head to your right and look at all those seats. Our mission is twofold, right? Leading people everywhere to a devoted relationship with Jesus Christ. It starts with you. You're our responsibility. We want to lead you. We want to pastor you. We want nothing more than to see you grow up into Christ and for, for you to live in his love and to disciple you and minister to you, minister to you so that you can minister to each other so that you can go and love people with the love of Jesus. Us as a team, every single one of those empty seats is our mission. Do we get that? Every single one of those empty seats is our mission. This afternoon, we are going to have a work day for our Easter egg hunt. And we're going to go, so right after this, I want to mention this too, that if you're a part of, uh, if you're interested in the Haiti trip, immediately, I mean immediately after this service, I want you to go to the children's wing all the way to the end of the hallway in the last door on your right. There's going to be an informational meeting after this, okay? So you'll do that, you'll come back, and we're going to eat lunch together, and then people are going to fill eggs and then a group of people is going to go out in the beautiful weather. We could be thankful and praise God for the beautiful weather today because some of us are going to be outside and going door to door. We will have, by the end of the day, passed out to over 400 homes, okay? Not 400 people, but 400 homes. Invitations to our Easter egg hunt, invitations to letting them know that we are here as a church to love them, serve them as a community, and therefore invitations to our Easter service, okay? All those people are those people. Do we get that? Isn't that, isn't that cool? So when we look at it from this perspective, we got work to do, right? We got work to do because our mission is never, ever, 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 ever over. All right, you can go ahead and stand up and go back to your seats. All right, here we go. I've been praying all week that God would help me to get through this in the appropriate time. I don't want to waste your time, but I want you to hear what God has put on my heart because it's not about me. It's, it's not about you. It's about the fact that you hear what God has to say, and he has certainly done that and set my heart in the right place through the band this morning. I mean, even just practice before you all entered this room my prayer was answered that the Holy Spirit would just fill this place with power because we had a sweet time of worship. At least I did stand out there just, um, just enjoying it. But I want to say this. Every Christian, every believer, everyone who has accepted Jesus, however you want to say it, everyone who is in Christ at the moment of salvation, God gives them the indwelling of His Holy Spirit to live in them in power. He's, the Bible says He's given us a spirit of power, not fear. He's given us a spirit of a sound mind and love, but not fear. But so often we live in that fear. And, and as we live our Christian life, we've talked about this before, but it's like God the Father is holding our hands, walking through life with us in the good, the bad, and the ugly. And once in a while, right, he picks us up like a father to his child, picks us up and embraces us and reminds us 
how much he loves us. And my prayer is so heavy upon me that this morning would be one of those mornings. That every Sunday morning, every time you meet with another person in God's body, every time you hang out with another person, whether they're saved or not, that the Spirit would pick you up, that God would pick you up through His Spirit and embrace you. And so I'm going to pray for us one more time. And this is a moment where if you're here this morning, this is a chance for you to posture yourself before God in 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 a way that says, God, I understand that this is not about me, that my brokenness is only healable through you. And so I'm going to pray on my knees today, not to be showy or anything, but just to posture before God and understand in reverence we come before his name. So if you, if you are able and you're in that spot this morning, Get on your knees. You don't have to, but get on your knees if you need to get your heart in that place before God. Or bow down and put your hands in your face, I mean your face in your hands, and just be before God Almighty. So everybody close your eyes, bow your heads. And get on your knees if you need to be in that place before God, just of brokenness before Him. God, I pray that I would serve well this morning. I pray that your spirit would be powerful in this place, God, to change a life because it has nothing to do with me and it has nothing to do with my own power, but everything to do with your desire to change our lives, God. I pray that every soul in here this morning is open to it. Father, as we, um, as we go through your word this morning and we think about redemption and, and you have bought us with a price, the price of your son. We are broken people in need of your power this morning. Embrace us, pick us up, and embrace us, God, and save someone's soul this morning. Help us to stop listening to the lies of Satan and know and understand your truth because the son has set us Heal hearts this morning, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Where have we been recently? We just finished a, a series in Ephesians, Identity in Christ. A few things about that. Kyle started off by saying that we are blessed. That God is not, is not once in a while I am going to bless you with riches and all this stuff, and he does do that. But the point is that we are blessed. He has given us forgiveness. He has given us the, all the blessings in the spiritual realm, in heavenly places. That is what we are. That we no longer are what we once were. We are what? Once were. We are. And because of that, we pray, pray, pray because our life depends on it and because we want to live our lives according to what God says we are. Where are we going? This week we're starting a four-week series on redemption. And this is perfect coming out of our identity series because our identity 
is in Christ, and it defines what God has made us. The word redemption, the idea of redemption, almost takes us backwards to tell us how and why we have a brand new identity. And so this is a perfect place for us to go this morning. Our, our thought, our theme, everybody say, bought. Everybody say, bought. Okay. Um, our theme verse uh, comes from 1 Corinthians 6 and 7. One of them says, you are not your own, you were bought with a price, therefore glorify God with your body. The other one says, you are bought with a price, do not become the slaves of men. Both can apply to so many areas in our life. Here's the deal. You were, everybody say bought. You were bought with a price, therefore dot, dot, dot. And that's where we're going within these next four weeks. All right? I want to define Uh, You'll see on the screen, this is a definition that has come from just studying the word redemption, that has come from a bunch of different areas, looking in the dictionary, looking in the Bible dictionary. Alan sent me some stuff, and this is a definition that I want to use as a working definition as according to the Bible and Scripture and God and Jesus, not according to the world. I want to make a very biblical and straightforward distinction that redemption as the world sees it is not redemption as God sees it. And so here's our definition that we're going to work with. With Everybody read it with me. One, two, three, go. With the price of Jesus' life for us, he bought us back out of slavery to sin and death to the original state that God created man. With the price of Jesus' life for us, there was a price. Jesus laid down his life, and everybody say, what? Bought? Bought us back out of something negative, slavery to sin and death, to the original state that God created man. If you uh, don't have a Bible this morning, find one in the pew in front of you or something, or take out your phone or your iPad or share with the person next to you, or a lot of the scripture, most of it, not all of it, is going to be on the screen. Uh, We're going to be in the NIV version. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 2. And here's the thing. It's going to sound like I'm going fast because I want to scream through some of this. But I need to paint a full picture of the word redemption for you so that you're not lost as we go through this. Okay. In Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1.31, it says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very, what? Good. Okay. So the, weir- the original way that God created the earth was that he looked at it, and he said that it was good. But as we read through Scripture, there are so many places when he says about the humanity of the earth that there is none righteous. There is none that does good. There is no good people. He even says in places about the earth itself that it is broken, it is fractured. So how could he look at what he did and say that's good? Because in the beginning, he painted on the canvas of time a creation that was perfect, that had peace, that was good in every single way. But the world we live in, even when we look outside and we see the beauty of God's creation, this 
is not the world that God created in the beginning. I mean, he made all this, but it's not in the state that it should be. It's not in the state that God created it in. I mean, I was with my neighbor. Remember that email I sent out, me and my neighbor pushing? Um, this dude is a lot more bold than me, so don't think anything awesome of me because I shared the gospel with him because it was all him. We were swinging our kids, and he goes, hey, so what would you talk about this week? This was the week that Kyle spoke, and I was seriously like, what? I was like, really? He goes, what did you talk about this week, you know, at church? And I was like, oh, thank you for the silver platter with that uh, opportunity boiling on it. I'll take it. And so uh, as we talked, he said, dude, I look out, and he looked out like he was looking at creation, and, uh, and then he looked at his kids. He said, I see all this, and oh my goodness, my kids can talk. My kids, they grow up before my eyes, and I see that, and I know there's something more. But the struggle inside his heart, and the struggle in all of our hearts, is to justify the injustice that we see in the world and in our own hearts and the brokenness and the fractured universe that we live in. Is that not true? Because I've been saved for 25 years and I still struggle every time someone gets sick and dies early. Every time someone dies in a tragic car accident. Every time a child gets sick that had so much life to live, I struggle with that. I come on the other side and I say, God, I don't understand it, but I trust you. But I struggle. And in every single human being, there is this angst inside their heart that says something is broken. Is that not true? Something is broken and everybody responds to it in a different way. Imagine people that have no hope in their brokenness. You might be here this morning and you've been a Christian forever and you still live in the lie that Satan feeds you and you've got no hope in your brokenness. You may be here this morning and you have never come to Jesus and you've got no hope in your brokenness because you don't know how to justify what has happened. We all see, we groan for restoration. We pray for people to be healed and sometimes God heals them. Sometimes he chooses his glory through their suffering. Is that not true? Sometimes he does that. But our hearts groan for the restoration of our own souls and the restoration of the earth. Most people have a subconscious thought that this world is broken. But redemption says that our longing, that our restoration has been What's the word? Bought and paid for and is complete. And it will culminate when Jesus comes back again because the Bible says Jesus is coming back again. And we are excited for that, right? Are we excited for that? That's going to be amazing. And I, I don't even, there's no words in the English dictionary to describe that. But if you do it in Bible terms, it's going to be amazingly, amazing, amazingly, amazingly awesome and radical. Who says radical? Sorry, that just came out. But, <laughs> oh my. 
but it's going to be awesome. Here's the word, sanctification. The fact that your life and God changing you and molding you into what he says you already are will never, ever end this side of eternity. So, the fact that I mess up makes sense. The fact that I still sin makes sense now. Our culture, through movies, through everything that it presents to us, pushes on you, be and act for a better version of you. We all somehow buy into that. We all somehow buy into that. This is awkwardly um, embarrassing for me. But I am way too caught up in my physical body. And I look in the mirror way too much. And my wife thinks it's absolutely ridiculous. And my son was looking right at me last night as I looked in the mirror. And Heather goes, he's looking at you. I was like, oh, dang it. And so when Judah hears me say something, even if I'm joking about the fact that I feel fat or something, I sound like, dude, I'm I'm a, a man. I shouldn't have this issue, but there's men in this room that have this issue, okay? And so if I say or joke about that, Judah goes, Dad, you are not fat. I'm like, thank you, Judah, for putting me in my place. You're, you're being Jesus to me right now. I love that. Um, so that was embarrassing. Um, but, uh, but the fact that there is absolutely no version of me that is good enough for God except the one that is covered by the righteous blood of Jesus Christ to make me who God designed me to be. From the beginning of time, I was meant to be whole and in relationship with the God of the universe. There is no version of me that I work on that is good enough for God except the one that is restored and redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. We talked about a few weeks ago when we were, about a couple months ago when we were in a square looking through the cross that God tells me the truth about myself and there is nothing more liberating and redeeming than that truth because it explains the fact that I'm not okay and that my world is broken and that explains why things are not always the way I want them to be. Is that not liberating? That God tells us that truth. That's so freeing because he also says, I have the solution for it. Not only for your eternal security in heaven, but for you as you live here on this earth. I want you to watch this movie clip. This is our society. Tonight, our little project, our company, had a very big night. A very, very big night. But it wasn't complete. 
wasn't nearly close to being in the same vicinity as complete because I couldn't share it with you. I couldn't hear your voice or laugh about it with you. I miss my, I miss my wife. We live in a cynical world, a cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. I love you. You complete me. I'm not just Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. So I need my um, box of tissues. They, um, that's our world that we live in. He said we, we, we're in a, a business that is competitive. And we live in a, in a harsh, harsh world. And there are so many times that we look for something in the world to complete us. And that, that's, that's from the movie Jerry Maguire. And if you've watched it or not watched it, you've heard the phrase, you complete me. Let me tell you, there is no one on the planet, no matter what, there is nothing and no one on the planet that can ever complete you. Because you will never be a whole person by chasing after whatever it is you chase after. If it's an addiction, if it's something that you do habitually, or if it's relationships with people, if it's a relationship with your wife. If, if you've got a wife and you thought that she was going to complete you, I'm sorry that that's not true. And if you're looking for relationships, even in this church, that you think are going to complete you, I'm sorry that's not true. They will drive you toward the one that will complete you. Jesus Christ is the only one that complete us. John 19, 30 says, when, we have, when he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It's a done deal. Your soul has been bought with a price, and the price that Jesus paid, your soul was bought and the deal is done. You are complete if you're in Christ. You're, you're complete if you're in Christ. The word gospel in Greek actually means good news, but good news assumes that there are dark spaces to invade, right? That there's bad news that needs to be, that needs to have something good. If my life was good, if everything was hunky-dory in my life, and I thought I was okay, I don't need no good news. It's just news, because my life's already good, right? Everything inside of me, I feel okay. I'm doing all right on my own. I don't need the good news. But good news assumes that there is evil, that there is hurt, and there is suffering, and the good news invades that space and is all the more bright. This book, the Bible, 
the entire story of the Bible is God's story of the redemption of mankind and the earth back to him, back to the way he created it to be. In the beginning, the Trinity was involved, all of the community of who God is. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was involved. God the Father, Genesis 1-1, he spoke into existence a perfect world. A perfect world with choice, but a perfect world. He spoke it. God the Father is the author. Genesis 1-2 says the Spirit was hovering over the waters. God the Holy Spirit is God's presence here on earth. And as we'll hear on Easter, through the death, burial, and resurrection, as we should hear every week, that the Son, Jesus, is the active force behind creation. As it says in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. He is the active force behind creation. Nothing that has been made was made without Jesus. He's that active force, but He's also the active force that brings us back to the way things were meant to be. Is that not awesome? That is cool. Because He created things in perfection, and when they broke, He was God's plan for the redemption of our souls. Let's get into, I know that was uh, a long intro, but it needed to happen. So let's get into Genesis chapter 2. As we read this, we're going to break it apart, and I want you to feel and know how you fit into this and how you relate to it. Because if you've already identified with the fact that there's something wrong in this world, and that we live in a fractured universe and our souls are broken because of sin. I want you to get this. Let's start in Genesis chapter 2, verse 4. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth and no plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not sent rain on the earth and there was no man to work the ground, but the streams came up and watered the whole earth, the whole surface of the ground. The Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. God designed it so that he was not only our spiritual life, but our physical life, the breath of God in man. Going on. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man that he had formed, and the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden, there was the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, here's the deal. Why put these two trees in? Because when we go to verse 17, skip down to verse 17. It says, the Lord God took the man, he put him in the garden to work the ground, take care of it. And the Lord God commanded him, you are free to eat from any of the trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. When you eat from it, you will surely die. Imagine hearing that. And a little bit of fear enters into your life because there is now a choice. If that happens, oh no. All right? So, seriously, Adam and Eve, one rule, right? 
one rule. Come on. But I think about that. I've thought about that oftentimes. I'm going to have words with Adam and Eve when I get to heaven. Come on now. But that pride is quickly replaced with the fact that I know my own heart. And if they didn't do it, I would have done it. Right? Why did he even give them a choice? Why was there a tree of life and a tree of knowledge of good and evil that they couldn't eat from? It doesn't tell you here. It doesn't tell you here. And that's the first injustice that is questioned. We've heard the question so often in our youth group, why God give free will? Okay? My first thought on that is that, here's the deal. If I could force my wife to love me, which I can't, it wouldn't be very satisfying for me, right? Because it's not reciprocal. That's not satisfying for me if I'm forcing her. God doesn't force us to love him. God is a relational God, and he wants us to love him back. He is jealous for us. He desires a deep, deep relation for, relationship with him. But if we're robots, then that's not satisfying for him, is it? The second, Matt Chandler says it this way. In God's infinite wisdom from the beginning, God wanted to weave into us and into the very fabric of human existence that obedience to God brings the most satisfying and the most joyful and the most abundant life that we could ever live, right? Obedience to God brings that. Let's go to Genesis 3, 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more crafty than any, any of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, Woman, did, you, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? Then the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat from the fruit of the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it, that little part Eve added, um, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here's the thing, and I know that there are people in the room who feel this way probably on a daily basis because I've talked to you in the last week, I've talked to you in the last month, but Satan's native language is lie. Lie, lie, lie. So one truth that you can go to the bank with is anything that Satan whispers in your mind is a lie. The most condemning verse in the Bible, listen up men, all you men look at me. The most condemning verse in the Bible is verse 6 for men. Here we go. I hate this verse. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took it. She took some and ate it. When we, our, the butt of our jokes stopped there, right? Hey, you're, you're <laughs> sorry, childbearing hurts, but take it up with Eve, right? Bam! Don't ever say that again. All right, it's happened to me. That's why I know. Okay. Um, <laughs> sorry, that is okay. Here's the deal. She also gave some to her husband who was 
with her. Adam, you were with her. Get a spinal cord. Eve, I know you're hearing this, but I'm hearing the same thing. What's going on? Come on, we can't be doing this. We shouldn't be doing this. This should not be, okay? This should not be. Before sin came into the world, they lived in a world, in an existence that there was absolutely no shame. But there is not a person in existence now that has not felt the emotion of shame, and that shame drives us to do things that we would otherwise never do. Verse 7. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Going on, the, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day and hid from the Lord among the trees. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? God knew what shame was. He didn't create it, but he knew the uh, penalty, the consequence of what sin brings into your life. And so he asks, why do you know you're naked? I mean, I can picture him like, oh my, we're naked. Run the other way. I've got to hide behind this tree, make my fig leaf thing. I've got to hide behind this tree, make my fig leaf thing. You're married. Come on. All right? Here's the deal. They were ashamed of each other and just being out in the open naked. It's not necessarily about the physicalness of being out in the open naked, but it is about what sin brought into their life because before sin there was no shame and after sin there is shame and what do we attempt to do? We go for the first thing that we can find to cover it up, right? So I'm going to take some fig leaves figuratively in your life. What is your fig leaf? What do you grab for to cover up the shame of your sin? And so we just grab for this stuff and we cover ourselves with the best that we can do. Whether it's an addiction or whether it's just trying harder to get in right standing with God, we wrap ourselves up. The number one sin, I mean the number one lie that Satan uses against Christians, I believe, is their shame and the guilt that it causes in their lives. He points his finger at every single one of us and says, you are not good enough. Look what you did. Do you think God can use you because you did that? Sometimes I just want to take Satan and <clears throat> kick him. And here's the thing, because Lecrae said this at Winter Jam. He, said, he, goes, he goes, here's the thing, three things. I love God, I love people, and I hate Satan. And I just laughed at that because I was like, that's the way I feel so many times. I see Satan's acting in my own life and in people that I love, and I want to drop slam him, and I want to kick him. But here's the deal. I am absolutely no match for Satan. He's stronger than me. He's smarter than me. And he broke my world. But Jesus is. 
That is glorious. Jesus is stronger. Romans 16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here's the deal. That verse is used so often in trying to inspire people to not be ashamed of sharing the gospel with other people. But when we believe the lies of Satan in our own lives that we are and to be shameful, we are being with shame rather than being unashamed, right? What that verse means is don't have shame. Why? Because you have nothing to do with your redemption. You can't buy yourself back. It's already been done. You have been bought. You have been paid for. Jesus paid the price for your redemption. It's not by your power. It's by the power of an almighty God to take away your shame. To set you free. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. What do they do from there? Verses 12. And 13, the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then uh, the woman goes and says, the serpent, you gave, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. And so what do we do? We grab whatever we can and we cover up the shame. We cover it up. We wrap it around so many times that it'll never come off, right? And we tie it and it starts breaking our blood vessels and all that stuff because it does destroy you. We tie it so tight that it will never, ever come off. And then we say, yo, it's his fault or it's her fault. It didn't start with me. Somebody confronts me about my sin and they say, hey, you got this going on in your life. I say, but dude, you drove me to it. You have to forgive me for this. Well, you did this, you did that. And we blame, we blame, we blame, we blame, we blame. And then verse 14 and 19 talks about how the, the serpent is put under a curse, the man is put under a curse, and the woman is put under a curse. And if you're a man, you think the women got the, sh- the, the long end of the stick and you got the short end of the stick because my work is hard now. I go to work every day and it's just hard. And then women, you guys got the, the, you get to go to work. We have to have babies. That doesn't compare, all right? It just doesn't. So don't use that as a joke. If you want to sleep on the couch and it's comfortable to you, then you can do that. But that's your business. Verses 20 to 24, what happens? Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of the living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife. Here's the deal. What does God do? He provides immediately. He says, oh, I see. Your shame has caused you to grab whatever you can and cover yourself up. But here, I'm going to give you an appropriate covering for what is wrong with you. And so what happens? Something had to die in order for God to give them an appropriate covering for their shame that was caused because of sin. 
That's what redemption says. Isaiah 11, 1 through 9, I'm not going to read it all, but it talks about the fact that in Jesus, this is a paraphrase, I encourage you to read it, but that in Jesus, eventually, someday, the entire earth will be brought back into rightness and the lamb will lie with the lion and the child will play outside the cobra's hole. That there will be no fear involved. That everything will be brought back into peace. Into restoration. Something that was broken is invaded by the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ and redeemed. Because we were what with the price? We were bought. With Jesus' life. We were bought back out of slavery to sin and death to the original state that God has created us. If you are weak, and I heard this at the concert the other night too, but if I am weak, and I know that I am weak, then I know that I need a Redeemer. If I know that I'm broken, if I know there is something not right in my heart, I know I need a Redeemer. And I can use a Redeemer. And I can follow a God that is powerful enough to redeem and restore and buy me back into restoration with Him and relationship with Him. I can follow a God like that, right? Because He is powerful enough to fix what is wrong with my heart. The brokenness that separates me from God forever. But if I'm strong, I don't need a Redeemer. I don't need a Savior. I can do this by myself. So if we're going to live this out, we've got to become a bunch of weaklings. Because what does the Bible say? When we are weak, God is strong. When we are strong, God doesn't have to be. He just lets us try to figure it out by ourselves. But he's close behind pursuing us. The band is going to come back up. And we are going to spend time looking at Jesus. Because the feeling that you have on a daily basis that brings possible guilt and shame, deal with that right now in these moments as we sing, as we worship. I'm going to be up front here. If you need to get up, this is just a time of freedom. We want this to be a time of freedom for you to deal with what is going on inside. Because maybe you're here and you've been saved for a really long time. Maybe you haven't been saved for that long, but there's still that angst inside of you, and you say, I have believed the lies of the devil about me way too long. And there is a brokenness there. There is a fracture in your world. And God tells you, yes, that's true. There is a fracture in your world. But here, here, is my son Jesus as an appropriate covering for the shame that you feel. Maybe you're here this morning and you have never come to Jesus. You have never said to him, 
I need you, Jesus, as the Redeemer, the restorer of what is wrong with me. I need you to bring me back into relationship with Jesus Christ. If that's you, you don't have to know everything in the Bible. You do not have to feel like you are super spiritual. The only thing you've got to do is be broken before an almighty God that can cover you with the appropriate covering. And when you do that, angels have a party. It's a party that I wish I could be at and it's a party that I will be at someday. And I want you to be there too. But come in this moment. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know the truth. Do it today. I'll be up front. Come pray with me. Find somebody that you trust to pray with. But do not leave today. Whether you're saved, whether you're not saved, whether you're a Christian or you're not a Christian. Whatever you're dealing with, don't leave this room before it's been dealt with. I know we've got Easter egg hunt stuff to do after this. But this is more important. Your soul is more important. So let's worship like crazy in this moment because Jesus is the covering for my sin. If, you have, if you're here this morning and you have no idea what I just said, come talk to me because in God's spirit, he can make it real to you. Talk to somebody around you. Don't be afraid to confront these moments. And if you're here and you are a Christian and you know there's someone that's not, talk to them. Talk to them. Talk to them. God, we we are here in your presence. We love you and we need you. You have made right what was broken, what was fractured by sin. Sin exists in the world, but in Jesus you have covered us with his righteousness so that shame and guilt are gone and we can live the abundant life as we still mess up and your grace covers us. God, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. As we do this, there's a table up front. There's going to be bread and juice on both ends. If you know Jesus as your Savior, if he is your identity, come up and take this. There's some in the back too. Don't take this lightly. Remember who Jesus is. His, the bread given as a symbol of his body broken for us and the juice, the cup given as a symbol of his blood spilt for us and why so that we could be bought back into relationship with an almighty God so confront these things in your life now today is the day of salvation today is the day of freedom We were bought with a price. Confession. We can go today, this very minute. I was not at church. I wasn't with my family. I was struggling with God because I had for too long tried to take control of my own life. And of course, I knew Jesus. But even if we know Jesus doesn't mean that we're not trying to rely on ourselves and trying to find the things that we think will fix us and heal us. And those could be good things, but if we abuse those and we try to take control of ourselves, 
then we're not going to be able to surrender to God. And so a week ago today, I wasn't here. I, I had to go away from my family for a couple for a couple days and figure out my relationship with God because I had tried to take control. So what I was doing a week ago today is I was singing this song we're about to sing. And I was screaming out to God, I surrender. I surrender because I have tried to do it myself. I waited too long. That's what we do, is we think that we're not good enough and we're not right enough. And we have all this pain and we try to do it ourselves. And I waited too long. And so I'm telling you, just like Nick said, I surrendered last week and that's an ongoing process. I surrender every day, every day. Maybe it's addiction, maybe it's pride, maybe it's time. Maybe it's guilt that you have lived with for a long, long time that you have not been able to let go of. Maybe it's bitterness towards somebody that hurt you years ago. Maybe it's bitterness towards someone that hurt you last week. Surrender yourselves before God. Let it go. Don't wait. Do it today, like Nick said. Come up and pray with somebody. Give it to him. Give it to your father. And maybe it's your heart that you have not ever surrendered to God. If you don't know that you've surrendered yourself completely to God, if you've not asked him to be your savior, do it today. Don't wait. Surrender yourself before God today. Don't wait for this. I waited way too long. These last two songs said, I surrender all beg the question, so what can I do? What can I say in response to this? All you have to do is surrender your heart completely, 100% to God, understanding that there is nothing you can do for your redemption. You had no, you did not pay a price for your soul. The God of the universe sent his son Jesus to do that for you. And the result of a mended heart, a redeemed, a restored heart, becomes obedience to God, which results in joy and abundance. Do not believe the lies that Satan feeds you anymore. We're just going to take some time, and if you... have the need to stay in this room and to be broken before him and to pray with somebody, then stay here and do that.